In today's episode, we're talking workflow, and not just a generic workflow, but the one that Joey and I actually use every single day on our projects. Stay tuned. Hey there, I'm Robbie Carmen. And I'm Joey Deanna. And welcome back to another episode of the Offset Podcast. Joey, today we are talking workflow. This is something that people bandy about, uh, I mean, every single day in our circles and post-production and, and finishing. Um, and there's a lot to workflows, obviously, but we get asked, I mean, I think pretty much weekly about the workflow that we do uh, between, you know, ourselves and our different locations. Uh, and I want to kind of explore that today because <clears throat> we answer a lot of questions, like I said, about it. And we're not doing anything, as far as we're concerned, super special. We're just kind of linking together a lot of, you know, sort of disparate pieces to kind of make things more efficient. But before we go into our part of the workflow, let's talk about what the kind of situation that we're facing is and some of the challenges, you know, that we're, we're trying to conquer because uh, there's, there's a few of them. So, so everybody knows uh, we have an office, uh, you know, it's kind of our main office, you know, facility where uh, we do a lot of our reviews. We work from there. That's where our whole audio team is based. But as you can see, uh, Joey's room right there is in the basement of his house. I have a similar setup in the basement of my house. And so we have these three locations, but we're constantly needing to have media in one place and media and projects in another place. And, you know, for years, Joey, I think, I don't want to say we struggled because we had some, we had some workarounds. But why don't you describe kind of the kind of the old way of doing things and how we got got that, and then we'll jump into uh, what we're doing these days. Yeah. So, like Robbie said, we've been kind of doing a multi-site shared workflow for a very long time. Both of us started working from home before the pandemic, and we've been moving media around, moving projects around, and working together on projects in various different ways over the years you know early on it would be as simple as okay here's all the client media right. we're gonna download it i'll download it on my end or Robbie drive, might or, download drive. It on, or drive or drive yep. and i'll copy the drive and then move the drive over to the office or yep. give it to robbie so he can take it to his house and i would maybe set up a project on my end organize all the folders how i felt like organizing them on my storage right and then robbie would do the same thing on his end and when we needed to move something back or forth we would export a drp a resolve project and then he would open it on his end relink all the media sometimes that was an easy process sometimes it was not depending on if we had used different naming or different drive lettering or you know going from different platform to platform yep. and we would do that back and forth so when it would have to come back to me for any reason i would have to do the inverse and basically undo all that robbie did to make it work on his end to make it work on my end and there was a lot of inefficiency involved there so we've gone through both as the software has evolved and as our process has evolved internally a couple of really important steps to make all of this basically seamless yeah and i mean i think there's a couple things that you know early on you know we were both of us kind of you know, we've been working, you know, together for almost 10 years now. And I think, you know, there was things that you like to do in the way that you named things and organized things. There was things that I like to do. And, you know, I, you know, I think we got our shorthand down pretty well, but there was still sometimes, you know, some detective work. Okay. Like, where did you put these, you know, these patches that came from the client or, oh, you got audio mix from the audio team. Where did, where does that go? You know, and so there was some organizational things besides just the, 
mechanical stuff of like how we how we push stuff around and i think my you know my biggest pain point from that period of time was especially with resolve and drps and projects files is staying in sync right knowing kind of this is the latest version of this project this is the latest timeline oh that's the one that you did x y and z on and that was a real challenge and we'd end up at the time end up with a folder of you know 20 or 30 drps from oh after review session post review session and we would call it different things and it got super confusing real quick and we said no 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 we gotta yeah and that kind of collaboration kind of discouraged the teamwork aspect a little bit right because if it's a process to go from one site to another and back i can't say hey robbie can you look at this shot on this timeline real quick you know it might take me less time just to (laughs) figure out my problem myself or vice versa these days we share very small components of projects really regularly oh can you work on this masking problem while i finish coloring this act of the show can you do act one and i'll do act two you know basically in our day if we need help we can always reach out to the other one for help and because the workflow is seamless there's no inconvenient penalty to doing that whereas with the old drp way it's kind of like the problem has to be big enough to justify the back and forth before we collaborate whereas now it can just be like great you do this i do this we get it all done quick Yeah, and to be clear, I think a lot of people might be listening going, well, yeah, I do that every day in my facility. That's It's easier to do when you're down the hallway from somebody and you're working off the same shared storage and all that kind of stuff. Harder to do when you have two people in different locations and, in our case, actually have multiple locations that we might not even be at every day that we want the media there. Like, I want to be able to go to the office, you know, and not have to move anything over or do anything and just sit down at the desk at the office and go... Oh yeah, there's where the projects where I left it last night or Joey left it last night at home and we're off to the races. So I think for me, Joey, kind of we can break this down into a number of parts. Um, and I, I think the hardest one for a lot of people to kind of get their their head around is the idea of syncing media, right? So of course, for the longest time, everybody knows the phrase sneaker net. That was the way it was done, right? Here's a you know a thumb drive or a hard drive. You move it from one system to another system. Um, there's lots of problems with that approach, though. I think you hit on one of them, and that is simply different platforms, different drive matching uh, ma- mapping. Can you ex- uh, expand on that a little bit? Yeah, so one of the things we haven't mentioned yet that I think is important to kind of add into this overall equation is not only do we have three different sites, we have two, and at sometimes, depending on how we've configured machines, three different platforms. Yep. We might have a Linux Resolve, uh, which we've had on and off in the past just for various reasons. But right now, primarily, we're on Mac Resolves and Windows Resolves. In my suite here, I've got one Windows Resolve and one Mac Resolve. At the office, we have just a Windows Resolve. At Robbie's suite, he's got two Mac Resolves, and they all address media differently. So. The big problem with storage is multifaceted. One, getting all of the information for a project, basically all of the files, to all three sites. And when one changes somewhere, making sure that change happens everywhere. So if I download mixes, I need those mixes to be sent to the office and to Robbie's house. I need Robbie to be able to download a patch from the client, and then I get it, and the office gets it, without us having to do any kind of manual intervention that's one part the next part is file paths and drive mapping and that kind of takes two things 
One is a technical thing, and one's an organizational thing. The technical issue is Macs and PCs do drives differently. Uh, you could have like the D drive or the E drive on a Windows machine, and then on a Mac or Linux, it's slash volume, slash whatever, slash MNT, slash whatever, however you mount the system. Now, Resolve has some really great features for dealing with this called mapped mounts. And you can basically define all your storages and also what they are on other systems. So for example, on our systems, on the Macs and Linuxes, it's slash volumes, slash DC color, right? And if we get onto a Windows system, we have the map mount set to that. And on the Macs, we have the map mount set to R drive. The reason why we have R drive is because all of our Windows machines have the DC color stored folder as R. That way we're only transposing paths between Unix style paths and Windows style paths. On Mac and Linux, it's always in the slash volumes folder. On Windows, it's always on the R drive. So we only have to do one mapped mount, and that's to associate between different platforms, not setting up mapped mounts between my house and the office, the office and Robbie's house, my house and Robbie's house. Totally, and I think there's a few things to kind of further explore there. Number one, uh, we do not operate with uh, working off of external removable drives, right? I think that's a, a challenge that a lot of people find themselves in. Like, well, I, I had this drive and I unplugged it. Like this whole idea that we're about to expand in a little bit more detail is predicated on the idea that we essentially have fixed storage. We have a NAS at the facility. We have a NAS at your house, a NAS at my house. And so those file paths, once set up, are kind of always the same, right? They don't they don't change, right? You know, yep. slash volume slash DC color is always there, slash R uh, or R colon slash slash is always there on the on the Windows boxes. And then two, because I think some people might be new to mapped mounts and resolve, and I'm always I'm to this day I'm surprised how many people are like, whoa, I had no idea you could click on that little file thing and it changed it. It's <laughs> been in there since like version six. Yeah. And it's and I don't understand why every other platform in the world, world doesn't do this. Doesn't do this. Absolutely. It's so simple, but it's such a time saver. It is. And just to, I mean, the simple way of saying it is that once you set up a mapped mount, if it's so, if, for example, if you're trying to map, you know, volume slash DC color to R and you set that R up as your mapped mount, basically the way it works is that anytime in a file path it sees slash volume slash DC color, it goes, oh, I know, I'm going to swap that out with R or vice versa, right? And so the real advantage of that mapped mount workflow uh, part of this is that, uh, as we'll explain in a second once we start syncing media, is that we never have to relink anything, right? As long as that mapped mount is set up, I just open up the project, even if I'm on a different platform, it knows, right? Yeah, and that's where the standardization part of this comes in. You remember I said there was two things. There's kind of the technical part, which is the mapped mount, and then the operational part, which is standardization. One, we can use the mapped mounts because we standardize mount points across all of our platforms. Like I said, all the Linux, all the Windows, all the Macs have the same mount path within their ecosystem. Yep. So we're just using mapped mounts to go between them. But the other thing that took us a long time to kind of really commit to, but I think it's <laughs> really, really, really important when you work with a team, uh, even if that team is just two people, yep. is we now have a dedicated, templated out project folder structure. And what that means is every project gets the same folder structure. And the first people, you know, it's kind of like using a fixed node structure in Resolve, yeah, right? Yeah. When you first think about it, you're like, well, that's going to be really limiting. But it's not if you build it out 
oversized. So our our folder structure basically has a dedicated folder for anything we would ever need in a project. In any given project, we might use 10% of those folders. But one thing I've found over years of working in post-production is the best way to be organized is to automatically have a place to put things that is the right place. If there's a right place to put things, that becomes your default. So even when you're under the gun, even when you're rushing, you just jump to the right place first instead of jumping to, oh God, I gotta get this done quickly. I'm gonna just it? throw it on my desktop or I'm gonna do something disorganized. So because now the project folder structure is the same in any site that we have the project, the maps are the same, the mounts are the same. It really is, I can open up a project on my desk. I can walk over to my assist station desk, which is a Windows machine, open up the same project. I can drive to the office, open up the same project. And I can call Robbie and say, Robbie, can you look at shot number two on this project? And he can literally just open it up and go to shot number two. And we're all on the same page with no relinking of media. Totally. And I think that it's, you know, that how we have that organized. So we're using a tool called Post Haste, that popular uh, tool on the Mac platform people have known about for a long time. It's just... It allows you to automatically create those those uh, folder structures however you want. And that's a, that's a good point to make is that we basically organize things for client provided stuff and then stuff that we create or organize on ourselves. So in the client folder, it might we have a folder for you know uh, consolidated media folder if they give us like a Premiere Pro project or something like that. We have a folder for baked uh, files. We have a folder for um, you know fixes and VFX and stuff like that. And in our in our folder, we have you know folders for. Uh, audio and graphics that might receive from other vendors. Uh, we have a folder for screeners and final output. The point about this is not to kind of, you know, lock in, you know, and, you know, for people to take our folder structure. It's more so just to think about that folder structure that works for you on, our, on your end and then sticking to it, right? That if you know every time, oh, well, I'm looking for the reference file for this timeline. Well, guess what? It's in client stuff and references and there you go, right? And it's just e that repeatability and is easy to find. And it did take us a while to get to this point and it was for no reason except that we were working, right? <laughs> so we were working good enough, projects were coming in, projects were getting done, projects were going out. There wasn't a dramatic issue to solve. So we never just sat down and said, okay, let's pause think about the actual workflow, the folder structure and standardize. Yep. Once we did that, we did a couple iterations, right? We tried some things, tried it with some real projects, evolved it, and then kind of locked it in. And that's important. Anytime you're kind of building a templated workflow, try it, be ready to make changes. Eventually you're gonna lock it in, but you know, we have some early projects that might not adhere to the structure exactly because we were still wiggling around and playing with it. And that's fine. It's always gonna yeah. be a process. But just making the effort to have everyone on the same page makes a huge difference. And I think it's kind of like a diet or an exercise plan, right? Like I'm more guilty than you are of like sometimes just being getting lazy and going, ah, I'll throw it in. But you know, it's one of those things, the more that you do it, the more it becomes habit and the more you see the benefits from it, just like a diet or an exercise plan or whatever, you know? And I think that, you know, that iteration is important. You know, we just early on, for example, like I didn't realize that like, lowercase folder names drove you crazy right and yeah. you know it's like <laughs> which is completely <laughs> irrational but i just i like uppercase folder right. names i don't know all right so we got you know so we've we've covered the part about uh uh mapped mounts and, and file paths we've talked about sort of a, a standardized folder structure 
how are we actually getting media from point A to B to C? How does that actually work? So everybody knows there's lots of solutions for this. And the right answer for you is whichever one is right for you. But for us, our needs in general were, we don't want to go to a cloud provider. We don't want to mirror everything in the cloud right. because that's either going to get really slow or really expensive. Yep. We needed to be able to reliably go between three different places and we needed to be able to kind of control it because, you know, we have a lot of really huge projects that don't ever need to move. Like I might be working on a film for a long time and never need to touch it at the office or at Robbie's place. And we don't want to just sync the entire pile of everything we always work on. We want to be able to say, okay, this project, checkbox, goes to the office, goes to Joey's house, goes to Robbie's house. This project goes to Robbie's house in the office, right? So we need to be able to kind of direct what projects we're putting to what storage, because like Robbie said, we have NASes at each location. And while storage has gotten really cheap, it's not free. And media files are doing nothing but getting bigger. Yeah. So we do need to be able to do some management. Uh, First, we started using Resilio Sync yep. back when it was still called BitTorrent Sync originally. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and Resilio Sync is a pretty cool product. A lot of people use it very successfully. We ended up switching off of that because we had some various technical problems with it. And, and we I, had also... I should add that we were also running Resilio Sync locally, on not, on, not on our NAS systems, but on a computer that was at that particular location. So there was a, a Mac, yeah. a spare Mac or a PC, wherever on those various locations that was running Resilio Sync as an application. Yeah, so to manage it, you'd have to go to that computer. Right. So what we ended up settling on is a really cool piece of open source software called SyncThing. And what SyncThing does is basically it runs in the background on any system, uh, which also means we can run it inside a virtual machine on our actual NAS systems. Right. And this works on various NAS platforms. So if you're on Synology, QNAP, TrueNAS, which is what we use, most of them have virtual machine capability and you can run SyncThing right on your NAS, which means it's super fast indexing files, scanning files, sending files back and forth, and it doesn't put a load on your grading system. And what SyncThing does is it presents you with a web UI. You can access the web UI from anywhere in your network. So I can like jump on my iPad and say, hey, Robbie, I'm sending you this project. Click. And it's done because all the paths are available on my NAS and sync thing is running on the NAS. And we can just basically have a, we just have a running list of projects where they're synced to. And if we make changes, it watches the folders, uploads the files to and from different locations. It has a trash functionality that has saved us in the past because let's say somebody deletes something at a remote site, then it's gonna ripple that delete to the other sites to keep everything in sync. Yep. Well, you can set a preference in there to have it instead of delete it, move it to a hidden trash folder. That way, if I delete half the project, guess what? I might've deleted it from my system. It's still at the office. It's still at Robbie's house because it didn't delete them from his storage. It just moved it into the trash folder. That's a good point. I'll expand on that in just one second. So I think it's important to make note of uh, a phrase that's often used with this kind of technology, and that in it distinguishes itself from other ways that people might be working. You know, this is a peer-to-peer -peer 
kind of setup. We are going from my NAS to the office NAS, to Joey's NAS, wherever, wherever this client's running directly, we are not using a relay point first, you know, so people might go, oh yeah, sure. I collaborate media, but I, I first sync it to, you know, my Google drive or Dropbox or Frame.io. Well, in that situation, you're going up to some point, relay point in the cloud. And then the other end is having to pull that down. So you have three stops along that chain as opposed to two. And we, we have noticed that from uh, a speed perspective, uh, it's, it's as fast as the pipes on either end can support, you know? And so for, for us, that basically means gigabit speeds, you know, to and fro. Uh, and so, you know, we- Yeah, seeing ProRes files move at 900 megabits a second <laughs> yeah. on sync thing is, is pretty cool. Cause it's like, Robbie, can you send me that project you want me to have a look at? Sure, click yes. Okay, cool. I've got it. If it's a small project, yeah. And I think the I think the added benefit, uh, as you mentioned, that of running this on your NAS uh, systems too, is that those those machines, those boxes are generally going to be running all the time. So there's not a concern of oh that computer went to sleep or somebody on you know took that laptop off the network or whatever it is. These are kind of fixed assets. They're always listening and watching for media to come in. And, and I, I think you mentioned the trash thing. The other thing I think is a really important thing that we've gotten in trouble with in the past with tools like Resilio was how these 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 sync tools handle conflicts, right? So like, mm -hmm. you know, if for example, you're syncing something while it's still downloading or, you know, you created a folder at the exact same moment that I created a folder, um, SyncThing has a robust set of tools to kind of manage that too you know hey i noticed that this file is out of sync you might need to look at this and address this and that saved our butts a few times as well yeah and because it's on this nice web-based dashboard like a lot of times we can actively manage it really easily like if we are rendering a hour-long prores 444 file i'll just click pause yep. on that sync because i don't want it trying to scan that file while yeah, it's yeah. still being rendered totally right totally. uh and then have to figure it out at the end and rescan it again so it's just, it's always there, it's always running, it's always in the background, and it's very easily accessible. I can even VPN in and grab it from my cell phone, because all we're doing is telling SyncThing what to do. We're not moving data around on that actual machine we're accessing it from. Yeah, and so from a practical point of view, if, let's just, as Joey mentioned earlier when we first started talking about the ability to ask for help or get a fix on something, in that in that sense, I what we usually do is, hey Joey, I need you to whatever do some magic, you know, some VFX magic on this shot. His reply will, okay, sure, just sync the project over to me. I click two buttons, and then in just a matter of moments, you know, again depending on how big the project is, it's over to him. And vice versa, let's say I get. Uh, a client who sends a drive to my house, but I'm gonna be reviewing with them at the office. Well, that's easy. I'll just copy the drive here, hit sync to the office. And when I go to the office tomorrow morning, guess what? Everything's there already ready to go. So it's very valuable in kind of moving that data around. And I think combined with uh, the, the two other things you mentioned earlier, the file path stuff and the fixed, you know, the fixed folder structure, it's like working on, you know, really, it's like working on the same system everywhere you sit down all the time. The media is just there, which is which is killer. Um, yeah, and I think that's kind of a great lead in to the other big, 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 massive big. ingredient yeah, totally. for this that is relatively recent, but is conceptually very, very important. And that is how do we interact with the projects oh, across multiple sites. Yeah, and as you said earlier, 
you know, it used to be this mental gymnastics that you had to play of, you know, is this the right version of the project? What's the timeline in that sequence? Like we, you know, I think at the time we were just like, God, this could be so much better. And, you know, we've, you know, covered, I know we've done a lot of training uh, about like the true collaborative workflow and setting that up in Resolve, but that's all been predicated on the idea that you're working on the same network, right? That you're in the same place. Yeah. And the... we went down this rabbit totally. hole for a year trying, of VP... trying to set VPNs. up our own VPN cloud-based shared database server, and we could never get it to perform at the level we needed it to because the Resolve database connection to Postgres SQL, which is a industry standard database, but the way Resolve talks to it is very important. And that was never fast enough over high latency connections like the internet. Resolve 17, I believe it was, was it 17? I think it was 17. Yeah, Resolve 17 completely rewrote that connection specifically to make it fast enough to use over the internet. And that's what allows the Blackmagic cloud to work. Yeah. But it also would allow you to make your own private cloud database server if you wanted. Yeah. And so we decided after looking at that for a long, as you said, we had tried VPN, we had tried all sorts of things. When the Blackmagic team came out with Blackmagic cloud and supporting databases there, you know, I think the first thing we thought of is, well, we don't want to pay anybody extra money to do anything, and we'll yeah, we could build this we, ourselves. We can build now, it now that it's possible, right? We we'll, we'll build this ourselves. And where did where did we land with that, and why did we land on what we did? I I started spooling up virtual machines, VPN servers, yeah. and we were going to do it all in house because, again, the technology and resolve that allows the cloud to work will also work on a private database server there's nothing different between the two right. so you can do this privately once i got through all the kind of it side and dealing with okay do i want all three offices on the same vpn right. and then that all the time probably not what if i want a vpn into my own house from my phone for other reasons do i want to have three different vpn servers running do i want to actively manage and secure all this eh, no if you have a big it staff and you know, kind of an already done cloud infrastructure for other things. Maybe. That's yeah. a great option. But for us, $5 a month per database and you just log in. Uh, so we're on Blackmagic Cloud for essentially all of our projects. Yep. They're all hosted on the cloud database. We still do local backups of everything just to be safe. Uh, but <laughs> I mean, for the money, it is just, yeah, it's not worth our time to become IT experts to do that and also it's not worth the risk of exposing our networks to security problems yeah and i mean i think there are some people who for whatever reason they're in a tpn situation or uh they have to be air gapped for other security reasons you know there are valid reasons to recreate this kind of uh technology internally where it's under your control and you know you have a little more you know security to throw at it with that said, I, you know, Blackmagic is using, you know, kind of industry standard AWS kind of backbone for this kind of stuff. Uh, you know, so it is secure, easy to use. As you said, the cost $5 per database, which I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that supports what, at $5, you get 10 users per database, something like that. Um, 10 shared users and infinite projects right, in the database. In that database. From a practical perspective, we've been creating a new database basically like per major version of Resolve. Yep and backing up the old one but i mean at any given point we have one or two databases so five or ten dollars a month 
So you know. in practicality now, all this really means is that inside of Resolve, instead of opening up a local database or a shared database, you know, from a server that's on my network or on the network I'm on, we're just pointing that logging into the Blackmagic cloud. It operates and functions just like any other database, you know, SQL database that you might have in Resolve. But here's the benefit, right? So I go ahead and I sync a project over to Joey and let's just call it for lack of a better term, project XYZ. I put it in that database. I add some media to it. Again, that's on my NAS. So first thing I do is I'm clicking uh, in the sync thing to share that folder from my NAS over to Joey's. Again, standard folder. In a few minutes, Joey gets that folder. All he has to do on his end is open up Resolve, find the, 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 the project that I just created. He opens it up and guess what? Through the beauty of path mapping and all that other stuff, everything's online. He simply slacks, Everything works. He simply slacks me or texts me and says, hey Rob, what shot was it? I go, it was 17. He goes, cool, I've done a pass on that. Open it up, see what you think. In fact, it works so well for doing this that I can open the project in uh, read-only mode if he's if he has it open and just look at what he's done. But it gets even better than that because the cloud database, of course, also supports true collaboration mode, which prior to this was really kind of limited. The the developments that you spoke about was really limited to doing collaboration on a single network, right? You have a shared database server on that network. Everybody in that facility or places can do that. But now we can replicate all of those true collaboration features uh, through our cloud database. So if we want to work at the same time. For example, I'm like, Joey, can you follow behind me, you know, doing this roto work in Fusion because I don't know Fusion at all. You can go, sure. And all the features that we're used to in collaboration, uh, how timeline ownership, how clip ownership works, all that stuff works like a charm. Yeah. And performance wise, I, I cannot emphasize this enough. I can't tell that I'm working on a cloud database versus a local database. Oh, yeah. It's just, they've figured out the caching and the data flow so well that it just works seamlessly in single user or in collaboration. One last thing before we kind of talk about collaborating and some of the gotchas involved yeah. is, I do want to mention you talked about TPN and air gapping and stuff like that. There is a happy middle ground to be had with that because while we're not doing specific like major studio TPN certified things, we still very much care about our clients' data security and privacy and making sure that we don't yeah. get anything out in the world that it doesn't belong and you know things don't happen security-wise that are bad. So as a general policy, we don't have our resolve systems connected to the internet, right? right? My main resolve system is not online. I bring everything in and out and do all my email and everything else on a Mac studio that's sitting next to it. But that brings up the question, well, if the main resolve isn't online, how can you do cloud database? Well, the main resolve isn't online, but it's on the network. And I've actually created firewall rules that right. say, okay, do not let any internet traffic in or out of this Mac Pro on this ethernet port, right? But allow connections to and from the Blackmagic cloud database. And that was like a five minute configuration in our firewall. You could probably do that in any, you know, firewall, maybe even on like your home internet router. It's not a very complicated yep. thing of combination of ports and, and hosts to add kind of to the whitelist to say, hey, allow this, don't allow everything else. So yeah, if I open up a web browser on my main machine, 
can't see anything. If I try to do Mac OS updates, can't see anything. If I try to download a file, can't see anything. I open up Resolve, it just pops up with the cloud login, I put in my username and password, and I'm in. So That's you can point. get to a reasonable middle ground of security, convenience, and mostly air gapping your machine without being like, I'm going to put this thing in a prison and only bring things in and out with certified thumb drives. Yeah, that's a great point. And one more thing that I just thought of before we get to the collaboration gotchas real quick is, you know, I think working in the cloud instills some fear in people in terms of like, well, what if, you know, black magic or AWS goes down or, you know, what can I do? Um, you know, the normal suggestions about project backup, whether that's, you know, obviously, a live safe thing or an actual project backup uh, or however else you want to do it by exporting DRPs. All of those practices are still germane, of course, to working in the cloud. Just because you're in the cloud, I wouldn't depend on that as, you know, your sole, your sole reliable backup system. So one thing I don't think a lot of people realize that is possible, because in the, you know, in past, you'd have to take the whole database uh, and then you'd have to export that. It makes that tar zip thing. It's big. It takes a while. Or you'd have to export individual DRPs. There's actually an easier way to do this that uh, plays into the drag and drop nature of a lot of us is you can simply just highlight a project or even a folder of projects or even everything in the project manager window in resolve now and you can simply just drag that to a location of your choosing um so you know if you want to just first thing you do in the morning when you open up resolve just take something drag it to your dropbox or google drive or wherever else you want to back up that's an easy way to back up and like i said it also respects um folder organization with inside the database too so if you want to just take the whole thing and back it up that's an easy easy solve as well yeah, and we've done that for various reasons of doing full backups or backing up a set of DRPs or for archiving purposes. And what I usually do is I just bound a hotkey to yep. export DRP. So once I'm like, oh, cool, I'm making great projects on the great progress on this project, bang out a DRP to my default export folder, which is then synced to a cloud file share just to have. So I've just got a running DRP backup of everything that I'm doing cool. just in case. Right. You know, you if know. the internet goes down. I can just import that DRP and be back to work because, again, our storage isn't relying on the cloud. Our storage is synced to the three locations locally. So as long as I have that project information somewhere, if the entire internet goes down, well, I can still continue working. That's such a great point about the sync stuff back and forth is that, you know, I know both of us, but I'm going to pick make fun of you a little bit. Um, you are about as data security... Uh, I'm going to say conscious, but the, really what I mean is anxious, paranoid, uh, paranoid yeah. anxious yes. uh, about losing, uh, losing stuff more than anybody I possibly know. And folks, I'm not kidding you. Like Joey will back up things seven times and still be sweating at night, uh, thinking about losing data. So one of the added benefits, especially when you're, you know, uh, you're working on, you know, a big sand or something like that, that could take days to rebuild is that syncing does have that extra layer of security for us that. Hey, if I lose everything, if my if my NAS just blows up, guess what? I'm still syncing that two other places, and so it's kind of you know kind of inherently a little bit of a backup system, not a great one, but a, a little bit of a backup system uh, because it's there. Now, Joey, two last things before we wrap up here. Um, we had mentioned some uh, collaborating function gotchas. Now, specifically, what I mean by that is not the way that we've set things up, but collaboration mode inside of a, of a project, you know, resolve project, uh, when you're in collaboration mode, what are, uh, what are some of the gotchas that you've noted? I I've noted a couple, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts. 
Yeah, so it is important to remember that collaboration is kind of its own thing in Resolve. There's collaborative projects and non-collaborative projects, and you need to switch that on. And when you switch it on, it does have some implications. The biggest one is that it doesn't let you do dynamic project switching when you're in collaboration mode. Uh, so just be aware of that. If you don't ne need to have a project set to collaboration, probably don't put it on collaboration because you lose that convenience of dynamic project switching. The way we usually do it is if we need to both be in the same project at the same time, we'll say, okay, I'm gonna turn on collaboration. We both go into the project. And then when it goes back to only one of us working on it, yeah. we'll manually go ahead and turn off collaboration for that project because it does make some other things easier. The other thing that we've seen issues with is if you have an external mat coming from the media pool into your node tree, we've had some odd issues only on collaborative projects where that doesn't link correctly across other machines. And if you turn off collaboration... It's back to normal. It will work. We had this, there was a project a couple weeks ago where I was working on some keys while Robbie was working on some color. And I'm like, cool, Robbie, keys are all done. They look great. We're ready to go. And he opens it up and he's like, what are you talking about? Dude? Trying to be polite about it. He's like, are you sure they're all done? Are you sure you graded this? Yeah. Because on his end, something in the node tree wasn't communicating right over the collaboration mode. And all of the keys and color looked completely nuts. Yep. While on my machine, they were fine. So we backed out, turned off collaboration, and went back in, and it was fine. Yep. So the only thing I would say is, one, we do know that the cloud part of this is still technically in beta. Yep. And two, the collaboration features are evolving pretty rapidly as well. So if you see something that's a little on the weirder side, don't panic think critically about it, be like, okay, maybe this is a, a, a bug or a workflow problem on collaboration. Let's try and troubleshoot it. Don't immediately think that You're Joey went blind and graded everything insane. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I, that's, that's definitely a gotcha. I have noticed a similar, a similar issue with, um, the only way I can describe it is moving too fast. And so all the normal rules, yes. all the normal rules about clip ownership, especially on the color page timeline apply with collaboration mode as they do locally. Right? So while I'm on that clip, I own that clip for you to see changes on that clip. I need to move off to another one and then you need to refresh or whatever. Right? I have noticed sometimes if I'm just, you know, next clip, next clip, oh, previous clip, next clip, next node, whatever, bouncing around, resolve and collaborative mode can sort of get a little confused. If you give it a second, it usually sorts itself out, but sometimes that's an issue. And then the, the other one I've noticed that um, I'm sure is just a matter of how the AWS login works with, with resolve and uh, how often it needs to re-authenticate. I've noticed a couple times where I've logged in nothing seems to work. Like I'm toggling grades on and off. It doesn't seem to work and I'm not getting any warnings from resolve. Right. I have found that nine times out of 10, if I quit resolve the next time that I launch it, it's asking me to re-authenticate to the cloud database and just re-log back in. Why it doesn't do that the first time when it doesn't want to respond. I don't know, but that uh, seems to be the fix for most of those problems. Yeah. And the good news here is, you don't have to be too scared because the common thread in all of these kind of gotchas is that Resolve isn't going to let you break 
the project if it doesn't have a good connection to the database. So, like, if you're doing what Robbie was saying and jumping back and forth between a clip really, really fast, and for some reason it doesn't take ownership of the shot, the color controls won't change anything, yeah. right? If you get logged out of the database and you try to delete a bunch of stuff out of the project, it won't let you because it doesn't have the permission to go to the cloud and say, hey, delete all this stuff. So if you get into some of these kind of weird things that we've seen, just back out, re-log in, and come back in, and your project will still be intact. It's really, really good about doing what I think is the most important part, which is not let you break it. And I'm and this is not just like, you know, promotion for black magic and you know, company, you know, you know, toting the company line or whatever. They're not doing anything for us. It's I honest to God truth, in a year plus of using the cloud database, I have not lost a single project or lost nope any work or data from that and when i've lost something it's been like super stupid normal you know color screw up stuff like you know rippling something to four thousand grades and then you know uh messing that kind of thing up right not because we're yeah talking. i've even had an issue where aws went down right so our connection to the database just went away yep. aws went down or my internet connection went down and resolve will come up and say hey i can't get to the database do you want to a, export a DRP of your project because it keeps the project in memory. So even if it disconnects from the cloud, when it errors out, it will let you export a DRP of that project to your local machine, which is a huge saver. awesome security blanket to have. But when that came up, when either my internet connection went down or when AWS went down, what I did is I just backed away from the system <laughs> and waited for AWS to come back. Yeah. And sure enough, the second it could see the database again, Everything was fine. it was like nothing had well, happened. Actually, that's The error went away, and I just kept on working. Just like we I exported the backup, and then I kept working. Just like we spoke about a few minutes ago with the, the inherent data security of syncing media, that that is one last thing that I think we can wrap on is that, you know, there's nothing saying that you can't have multiple layers of protection within your database too. And so, you know, one thing that I think a lot of people are doing or thinking about doing is they're working locally in a local data, whether that's, um, you know, a local SQL database, a network SQL database, or even a, a project derived uh, database. Um, there's nothing saying that when you want to then share that with the rest of your teammates or whatever, you can't simply you know, command or control C, command or control V, and paste that into the cloud database, right? It might be- Yeah, and you can do that across databases right in the Resolve Project Manager. You don't need to export and import totally. anymore. In fact, there's now a button in the top right to copy selected projects to any of your other databases. Exactly, so if you're the type of person that's like, you know, really antsy about other people in your facility, maybe, you know, looking at it, you know, when you're not ready yet, or messing it up somehow, Work locally and then copy that to the shared database when you need to do the rest of this workflow. So, Joey, I think uh, hopefully everybody kind of gronked what we're talking about here. We're we're exceedingly happy with this workflow, and I think that um, if you guys have any questions about it, we're ha happy to answer those. Again, not reinventing anything from scratch, but kind of putting these various pieces together, and it's allowed us to be incredibly efficient across multiple locations with multiple users uh with limited amount of headaches uh and so yeah. uh for the time being that's how we're rolling we're really happy with it and uh let us know if you adopt you know this in part or in all of it and for sure let us know if you have any questions all right guys well that's it for this installment of the offset podcast i'm robbie carmen and i'm joey deanna thanks for listening